Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate if you took a moment to follow it on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. I would also like to mention that our next Elrond Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future volume is now available. This volume contains 12 incredibly talented authors and 12 brilliant illustrators selected by some of your favorite names in science fiction and fantasy. I promise that if you are a fan of science fiction or fantasy, you will find new voices you will love. And if you're an aspiring writer or illustrator, these stories and illustrations provide the benchmark of quality necessary to break into the ranks of professionals. Writers of the Future anthologies are available wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., South Africa, and Australia. Get your copy now. Actually, I prefer if you wait until the podcast is over, then get your copy. Right now, I'm at the Writers and Illustrators of the Future workshop in Awards Week for Volume 39, and my guest is Dan Farr, CEO of the Salt Lake City Fan X. I originally met Dan several years ago through the Winter Twins, a whirlwind of a dynamic duo of authors who initially introduced us. They also introduced me to the brilliant artist Rob Pryor, who has since become an Illustrator of the Future judge, but who is also besties with Dan. It all came together into a perfect coalescence of making friends. So, welcome, Dan. Yeah, I was going to say, that's how this world works. It's, it's interesting when you meet somebody, then all of a sudden you start talking for a minute and you find out, oh, wow, we got this in common or that in common. This really is a small industry in many ways. I mean, it's big and, you know, it's not big, But it is small. It's, it's, just, yeah. it's, it's amazing how fast, like, oh, yeah, that connection, that connection. Yeah. You know, we got some of our judges that the way I meet them, either they, they've won and they've grown up through the contest or um, I see somebody with you and then... I find out who they are and then uh-huh. they become, because it's so big in one aspect of the industry, that can you be an art judge? You know, and that's right. did, several of our judges came because of my connection with Dragon Con with Pat Henry, who is your opposite number there at Dragon Con. He owns that one. Yes. So it's great. So anyway, like I said, welcome to, the, to this podcast, Dan. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, I've been um, trying to get you on this podcast for a couple of years. So I'm so happy. I, I, like I said last night, jokingly, you know, so I close you to become the, the uh, keynote speaker and yes. got you here a couple of days early so I could then finally schedule you for, a po- for that one hour podcast. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. I, it's interesting. I, I enjoy doing things like this, but I also have kind of a shyness sometimes that it's like, I, I just get comfortable not talking and so uh, when when I get these opportunities I, I do them and I'm like well why don't I do more of those because I, I, I do have fun but I just I think I build up in my mind a, a little bit of a resistance plus it's you know my schedule has been really busy I know when we've tried to schedule things in the past it's been well we're preparing for this event or or yeah. something else is coming you've up. You've got so yeah. much going on and now you're yeah. kind of like locked and loaded I mean, you've got your Dan Farr Productions, but that, yes. that pretty much is now locked and loaded on the four conventions that you own? Yeah, and so technically we have Dan Farr Productions and we have Imaginarium, um, and so there's two companies. So my business partner, Jeff Wright, and his wife, Abby, they're, they've come in uh, in the last three, four years and and uh, have helped both financially but also just 
inspirationally. They they are really uh, motivated, fun people, and and uh, so we had the one convention in Salt Lake, and then when they came on, they said, "Hey, why don't we look for something else?" And we we hear about things from time to time, and and there was an opportunity that the owners, the people that started Imaginarium, and they had they had done I think six or seven shows, but they had three that were active, which was Tampa, Atlanta, and Indianapolis, and so they were looking to sell it and so we started discussions and and having them as partners made it possible just to close the deal and and uh so now we have four large larger shows every year yeah so the first one we're talking about is the salt lake city fan x yes and which is short for fan experience yes you know was that your idea well yeah it's interesting you say that it's um it, it was kind of a collaborative idea with the team, but the fan experience, one of the things that we had is we did our very first show. It was so much bigger than we anticipated. <laughs> um, you know, we were anticipating ten to 15,000 people. Well, we ended up with over 50, well, really closer to 70,000 people. And it was giant. It was so successful. But we, you know, you kind of collapse under your own success sometimes. And, and that was something that, you know, it took some people two to three hours to get in. And so we, after our first show, the majority of it was great, but there were just some things that were just like, well, we got to improve the fan experience. And so we were looking at doing, hey, why don't we do a second show a year? And so we're looking for a spring show, but we wanted to differentiate it from the fall, fall show. And so we we did that. We just, so, but we said, why don't we call it Fan X for fan experience? And then we also, so not only having that be a different name, but it also became kind of internally became a mission statement for us that we were going to focus on the fan experience and we were able to work out some of the kinks so that people didn't have to wait in line for two or three hours to get in. You know, they right. could get into the show very quickly. And, you know, from that time, we've been able to come up with some ways that people get in the door very, very quickly. And very fast, they, but that line still wraps around the entire thing. We still center. get a big it's line, but the line moves. Yeah, moves. Yeah, the difference is, yeah, the line initially, people were waiting, but really, uh, when you do see those long lines now, you notice that people are just walking the whole time. Yeah. And so maybe it's 20, 30 minutes in, in the line, which, sure, is, which is nothing compared to what it was. And, yeah. you know, the technology that exists now to get people through. And yeah. even what you did on, on um, for that time period, when you also had the requirements of the um, temp checks, yes. how you handled that. And that was, it was amazing that those devices that you had these put your hand above it, didn't touch yeah. anything, and just boom, boom, boom. Just get people in, yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, and that's uh, that's something, yeah, the, in this business, you you can count on one thing is that things are going to change. Yeah. Uh, the, the, um, I, I did realize what it takes to run a convention you know, like we put on is having a team that can adapt and not get too ruffled in the situation because just know you can do all the planning you want and just know that things are going to change and you're going to have to figure some things out on the fly. And, and as you know, as you're going, you want to have people that can do that and, and feel like they can make decisions and, but without having it just be a meltdown because it, I, I've seen other conventions where, where people just the, the level of stress is so high yeah. that you know, eventually that trickles down to the fans. And we never want the fans to see, you know, the, the people that are putting on the show running around and, and you know, they've got the look in their eyes that, you know, the, the whole world's coming apart. No, it's just we want that experience. Once again, focusing on the fan experience, we want it to be a, a, a really good experience for the fans. And so we realize it's got to start from the top. 
and yeah. with our staff. Um, I, I say this, we have had a lot of celebrities that have been to our shows that have commented. They say, you know, there's something, this show here, you, you know, you guys seem a little more relaxed. You seem like you're, you got things under control and we've, we love the way you run this, run the show. And really it has come down to just having the right people being able to centralize the decisions too. It's like, I don't have, you know, people will tell me, they say, Dan, you look so relaxed. You know, you're running a show here. And I say, well, you know what? I've got great people that are making decisions. Yes, I, I will hear about some things, but for the most part, decisions are being made all the time and maybe not always as I would make that decision, but the fact that a decision is being made is a big deal. And I, and I think that's something that, uh, you know, sometimes just a decision is the best decision, whether it's, you know, one that you'd want to think it out for two weeks or something, you know, it, it doesn't matter because you're yeah. not, you, you know, you, you got to be quick and then move on to the next thing and just leave that uh, behind you. Absolutely. And because I attend several bigger shows, I've, it's hard for me to do like I used to do, you know, 20 years ago, I already attended a bunch of the smaller shows, medium shows and the big shows. And I just got to now where I, it, it's devolved to the big shows. Yeah. And some of the shows, the smaller shows are usually, fan run fan operated right. and there's there's not a it's not a paying gig for somebody right so there you see the meltdowns happen more um viscerally uh-huh you know and for good reason i mean there, there there's big issues that happen but you just have to realize that you know what we'll get past it we got the right people yeah we'll get past it if you have a team and so you, you've got your team you've got a higher team of people that are actually yeah payroll then they're they're trained, they're apprenticed, they, they're experienced. And so they handle stuff so that when you have, because I know you got to have 50, 100 easily volunteers below you to handle. We have we have in Salt Lake, some, we've ranged between like 600 and 1,000 volunteers okay. that help out at the show. So they, yeah. I sit corrected yeah. here. No, that's, no, it, it's that's a lot. And that's pretty so that, big group of people. Yeah, which is awesome, but it, it just flows and... Um, there are the people that, you know, the decision makers that are there, if you need to reach somebody in the fl on the floor to handle this, then you've got those people you can go to. But otherwise, yeah. you got people that they have a lot of pride in, you know, making sure that your space on, on the security, you know, people are assigned to different sections, different blocks of the yes. floor. So you have a problem, you got a person you can get, they come up, so how's it going, any problems? And, uh, you know, it's just great. It's just a very safe space. So I wanted to move into now like um, pop culture, which yes. is what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about as a keynote speaker this year for the Rise of the Future 39 Gala uh -huh. is um, it's important and it's different than the mainstay. Here's what the government directs that you should do, or here's what Hollywood says is um, what you need to do. It's, this is, it's, it's different. So can you talk about like, what makes it different than the other kind of stuff? Well, well, the thing that's interesting about pop culture is there are obviously there's influencers, there's people out there trying to direct what becomes the next hot thing, right? right. So, so there, you do have creative people trying to drive that, and like you mentioned, you know, whether it's come through the government or whether it's just come through corporations or whatever. You know, every company would love to have their product the next hot topic right, right you know they right. want to make sure that that they're popular and they're selling a lot and making a lot of money or whatever so so there, there's a lot of I, i'd say artificial influences on it but generally i mean we look at what pop culture is it it comes 
from the masses. It comes from the people. And, and, and you can't predict, most of the time you cannot predict what's going to be exciting and what, what's going to resonate with people. You know, right. you can follow formulas and you say, hey, you know what, this formula here, this should equal this output. But we've seen that all the time in Hollywood with movies. You know, they, they have all the data you can imagine. When they're, they're deciding to create movies, they have the data, but they still miss as often as they hit, or they probably hit a fraction of the time that they act, you know, that they, many times more they miss. So, Yeah, so on that, I mean, I, I when I go to, to FanX, and I love FanX because I think we sell more books there than any other convention. So for me, I'm a That's book exciting. publisher. So for me, it's super exciting. There's a lot of readers there. And I've gotten in, because I've, I've um, KSL, that's the media yes. out uh -huh. there. So I've done a lot of podcasts you know, and stuff with them. Shows with them, yeah. And with ABC and CBS and mm -hmm. just all the stuff there yes. available. And I've always ventured the question, is it the water? What what about yeah. there? Because it's there's something there. I know BYU, the you know, literacy is a big part of that culture up there. Um, we have more winners. We've had three of our judges from BYU. I was a guest speaker once under Brandon Sanderson, hmm. and uh, that was the year that I invited him to become a judge. Yeah, I cornered him, wouldn't, wouldn't let him leave until he said, "Okay, okay, nice. uncle." But yeah, he 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 said, "Yeah, I was an honorable mention in the contest myself." But Orson Scott Card, Dave Farland, and now Brandon Sanderson. So um, I just love the people up there. I've, I've visited every. Brigham University, Utah Valley University. I've spoken at both uh -huh. of those. And um, just amazing the amount of attention on literacy and education, on reading um, that exists there. And I think it's also part of the, the culture from Latter-day Saints too. Sure. Just family, home, literacy, education. Whatever it is, it really works from my perspective on getting people to want to buy our books, you know, all of the 100 yeah. books that we have. So... With that, what do you suspect? Because now you've got three other conventions too. Yes. So how would you compare them? And well, um, fandom is a really powerful energy. Yeah. Um, it to me, I didn't understand it a whole lot when I before really before I, I did this. It's something that I've kind of come around to. I, I married a fan girl. My my wife, she's big Star Wars, big and you know, like one year she wanted a Star Wars Christmas tree. Um, and I'm like, really? What do you want? And you know, I, she's the one that would buy the you know the the star wars or or you know any any fun t-shirts you know she's the one to pick those out i met her last night she's yeah. definitely that audience yeah. i yeah. love her man she's yeah. like awesome so so I, I i get it through her because i didn't really understand it this so much before but as i started looking into things i i was a vendor with the 3d software business and what i realized is our our 3d software business uh had fans as customers and so we started going as a vendor to some of the different pop culture conventions mostly the wizard world ones right and i started to understand fandom a little more you know i started to realize that what people got excited about and then i thought wow utah we've got a lot of people like this in utah and, and i even heard some anecdotes that like Harry Potter would release and Utah theaters would lead the nation. Some, some of the Utah theaters would lead the nations and tickets sold for the weekend. And so realizing that, you know, hey, we got a lot of people that love Harry Potter or Star Trek or Star Wars or whatever it may be. We've got the, these people here. And um, 
a lot of people do ask, you know, what is it, like you said earlier, is it in the water? I do think that there's a belief in many people there because, you know, you talk about the predominant religion there, the LDS church, they, at best, it's half the population. So you can't, you can't say the LDS church and then have that reflect on everybody because it's, you know, really, it's it, at best half, you know, a third to a half of the population may be influenced by it. But um, if you look at what that belief system is, is a belief in something more, right. you know, something more than your eyes can see. And I think that maybe could lead into why people enjoy fantasy and sci-fi and pop culture in general is just kind of this belief that, hey, you know what, we're willing. You know, I look at Doctor Who, for example. Mm-hmm. Doctor Who fans are some of the most passionate, excited fans. And what I see of the equation there is Doctor Who is also the show that does some of the craziest things. You know, like, like you really have to suspend disbelief to watch and enjoy Doctor Who. And so I think when people are, are tapping into that creative, you know, imaginary, you know, imagination, right. um, I think it's allowing them to, to uh, really become vested in what they're watching or, or reading or, or whatever. And so I, I think there's that level of people. And I also think that there's just a high level of industry and creativity with people. Um, People like creating stuff, and there's a lot of uh, just hobby things. That's why cosplay is actually really, really big at our conventions, which they're big at all, you know, outside of Salt Lake. They're big everywhere. But I I think uh, I did have one cosplayer um, that came in as a judge to one of our shows, and and, uh, she had commented to me. She said, you know, I look at your entrance here, and your people that are the beginning are more like intermediate. And the intermediate are more advanced, you know, basically saying that the, the level of the cosplay that was being you know, in the contest was a cut above what she typically would see at, at, at the different levels. And so... Um, I was it, amazed just just this last year, um, whole families dressing up, you know, so like fun. big families, you know, all in light costumes, you know, they're all there in the um, um, whatever the particular movie or, you know, thing, the Waldo, they're all dressed yeah. up in their red and white t-shirts yeah. and it's like... I mean, a huge family, grandparents, parents, uh-huh. kids, all dressed yeah, up. Yeah, multi-generations. Yeah, all dressed up in that same. Or um, what are the blue people? Um, oh, the, oh, yeah, from Avatar? It's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whole, you know, their whole family, again, same thing. Just It's amazing. I sent some pictures mm-hmm. to you with, yeah. that I had, you know, that I took. There's was like, oh, this is so cool. Right. It, no, it's, it's impressive. And, <clears throat> and the fact that... The families can get together and find that common interest because there there are so many things you know I, I find with my family it's hard to for us to centralize on something we all like you know we all we all have our devices you know I say vices but our devices you know <laughs> um, we it's easy for us to get pulled into whatever it is that's pulling us into the this phone or a TV show or something and so when you can find something that's common it really is exciting to be able to do it together as a family and be passionate about something in common. And that's the one thing I, I really have loved is to see the multiple multiple generations of people come to the event. And even though they may not all love the same TV shows, they could all still celebrate fandom together. Yeah. And so that that's really a lot of fun. And you see groups too. I mean, one thing too, the planet has gone very divisive. Yes. You know, and there's a lot of friction and there's a lot of 
left versus right, and it's yes. it's being created by somebody or somebody's. Yeah, just to p- people constantly fighting. You know. Well, even if you look at it just from the standpoint of people doing it just to get ratings, that they may say something that they maybe truly don't believe, but they're saying it just because they know it's going to be inflammatory and it's going to get shares and likes and whatever. So, I mean, just even from that, you know, I I do believe that there are people out there that are are not looking for our best interests at heart, and so they're willing to share things. But there are also people that are just self-centered opportunistic and saying, you know, hey, if I go out and I say this, I'm going to get so much visibility from this and I can make money because I can, I can sell ads or whatever. So, yeah. but, but yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't want to cut off no, where no, you're no. going, but I just, I do think that the, your point is very valid that there is this divisive energy and we, we can all feel it coming out there. Whatever yeah. the motive is, it's there. Yeah. And even when you go, you know, and I'm saying this very lightly now, but even sporting <laughs> events, you know, you've got A versus B, you know, mm-hmm. and you got a winner and a loser. Mm-hmm. When you go to these pop culture events, there's not winners and losers. Yeah, See, there, that's there's, good. It's there's just, heroes and villains, and they still get they get along. Yeah, everybody gets along there, and that's it's so different than anything else out there that's available. And if you've not been to a, one of these events, if you've not been to Salt Lake City Fan X, I've not been to your Tampa or Atlanta or uh, Indy yeah. um, conventions, but I'm sure they're the same concept. Same energy. Yeah, yep. that it's, it's truly an experience worth, worth tackling just to see what it's like to go in there. And there's so many things, just seeing so many people enjoying it. And there's people of all walks of life come in there, there's no judging. It's, it's now yeah. been set up there. So it's kind of like been worked into the conventions that there's no judging and no shaming. And right. that um, there's the various security of the place to ensure it's kept that way. But that's what it is. It, it's all mm-hmm. about, you know, pop culture yes. know, and sharing and enjoying. And you go on some of these panels, you know, the ones that you go to where you introduce some of the characters we'll talk about. And you look at the hall. I remember the first time when I said, what's this? And I start seeing pictures like, what, 5,000 people? Yeah, about 5,000 people in our main ballroom. And it's packed. Yes. And they have to shut, they have to close off people coming in because it's, mm-hmm. the fire marshal says, no, you can't have more people in there. Right. That's just, it's just crazy. Yeah. No, it, it is. It, it's fun to see the energy of people celebrating pop culture. I, I had no idea that it was this powerful. I, okay, so I mentioned I was a vendor at some different, you know, the, Wizard World shows or whatever with my 3D software business, I could feel the energy there, but I didn't really get it. It you know it took me a while, and then when we started producing the shows in Salt Lake, that energy started to make a lot more sense to me, and I realized that it was so much more. You know, I kind of thought, hey, we'll put on an event. It's kind of like you know you have the gun show, or you have a, you know the bridal show, or you have a car show, or whatever. It comes and it goes, and that's it. What I realize is this is so much more yeah. than that. It, this is something that people prepare for the day after they they leave it. You know, they, they go to a convention, then all of a sudden they're preparing for next year. And they're yeah. trying to decide what three cosplays they're going to have or what are they going to do. And, and they, they look forward to it. It's become such a, just a powerful energy. In fact, um, you know, there's things of, you know, people meeting there that they maybe didn't, Social, socially, they, they struggle a little bit, but then they'd come to the conventions and find people with common interests and make friends. And even pe- we've had people that have um, 
got married because of the event, and also we've had people get married at the events. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's definitely something that is a counterbalance to the uh, energy we talked about where people, the divisiveness. Mm -hmm. I do think that this is something that's very inclusive, but also it is something that is very um, just it brings people together, and and we can all celebrate. It doesn't matter if you're multimillionaire or if you're almost homeless or whatever you you know where you are on your economic scale. You can still get together and enjoy Star Wars or Star Trek or Doctor Who or Harry Potter or comic books or anything that you like. You'll find people with similar interests there. Yeah, how many different vendors do you have there at Fanex? It's huge. Uh, yeah, it, it's about. <laughs> I'm going to say 900-ish, but that could be 1,100. It could be 800. I don't know. I, I think we're at least over 900, but uh, yeah. yeah, there's, so much, to, yeah, there's yeah. so much to see and do, and you've got yeah. your artists. If you're into art, you got artists there that are like, um, hey, see me, look at me. There's yeah. authors with, you know, that I'm going to come out and trying to get themselves known. Yes. Uh, we're there, obviously, as, as a publisher, um, but you've got, I mentioned earlier at the, at the intro, Rob Pryor. Yes. Just a, an amazing artist. He paints. And entertainer. Entertainer, yeah. He's yeah. got his headphones on playing his rock music. And he's there <laughs> with both hands going with two paintbrushes and yes. eyes are closed and he's just painting. And he's like, whoa, how does he do that? Yeah. You know, he, he's, he's so fun to watch. You know, he, um, when we first had him at our shows, he would say, well, I need to be able to set up an area where I can paint and you know, I'm thinking, why? I don't get that. You know, I mean, you're an artist, you're at the show, you're selling your art, you should have it. Why do you need to be painting there? But then when you see him paint, you're like, ah, that's why. You know, he is yeah, he's he's a show. entertainer. He is showing himself, yeah. one man show. Yeah. yeah. But you've got a lot. There's another show too that I attend, don't, don't sell nearly as many um, books at because it's all. Hollywood's kind of like taken over quite a bit, uh -huh. and so it's it's a it's a means of introducing the next movies, the next right. generation of television, and get people endorsing. So they then take it and they'll they'll share it, they'll post on it, they'll right. comment on it, and create that groundswell, the which, media buzz. Yeah, and they create that buzz from from that. Fanix is a, is a whole different critter, and a recent another person i just interviewed before um having you here rob sawyer who's uh -huh. won every major science fiction award but we talked about social media uh -huh. and like social media really isn't social it's because people can use their avatars they don't have to use right. their real name and they can come right. in and they can just like post whatever you want to say so you're saying anti-social media <laughs> basically anti-social media yeah but when you go to like Fanex, it really is social. You know, mm -hmm. you're in front of people, you're seeing people, you're interacting with people, and it's, it's people that are civil and enjoying. You're all, you're on a common ground that you can share, and it's much broader than just you and your sister or your brother or your wife, husband, best friend. Literally, you have what 120? Well, it, it's over 100. If I think if you consider all the people that get in free and you know like i'm saying kids and you know because we do let kids under 10 and free and we do have uh we invite teachers and you know, any, anyway yes yeah we it's i'd say we're in that realm around a hundred thousand people yeah i mean so that's, that's a lot of folks there and to go in there and not get any grief is like so cool you yeah. know you're, there's so many vendors there you can get you know 
you don't have to wait for two hours to get your cup of coffee. You don't have yeah. to. You can go there because there's a lot of stuff, a lot of people. A lot to choose from. A lot to choose from there. And it's like the city comes together to mm-hmm. help celebrate this convention. Yes. Um, so there's not like, oh, no, they're using it, they're taking up all of our parking spaces or they're, <laughs> um, I mean, all the restaurants, you see all the menus, the, the FanX menu from all right. the local restaurants. You know, they really embrace the convention. Well, they do. It's, and, and people talk about like, wow, you go downtown, you just see all these superheroes and villains walking around and people, um, you know, obviously there there's so many different genres of fandom that trying to keep tabs, you know, most people, most of the, I say the layman, um, lay person, they don't know 80% of the costumes that they see, you yeah. know, because I don't know that many. I mean, I, there's just too many to keep, you know, you start getting into the anime world, get into the gaming world and all that. Like, wow, how do you, how do you keep track I, of yeah, all that? Yeah. Sure. But it's, it's fun to watch. It's, it's yeah. it is a visual spectacle for sure. Yeah, the only time I've had it where it's it's not been so good for the person when I for that very when I didn't recognize it because I read books I don't watch TV uh-huh. so if I don't recognize that character and so what a cute and then say what I see mm-hmm. and they go no that's and they yeah. go oh I'm so sorry so sometimes I'll before I go to these things I'll do a quick scan through you know so just at least the major one YouTube right? just to see okay who, what's out there. So between myself and, and my wife will go through and see and she's okay, this is this, this is okay, good. So at least I'm not going to, you know, step on somebody who spent two weeks putting together this awesome costume, which I thought was X, but it was really yeah. Y. Yeah, that's so and so from Doctor Who. No, it's not. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, yeah, it it's I, I've done that. I, I I do try to be careful not to just you know, unless I know for sure, yeah, you know, with the S on the chest, yeah, I, I can usually get that one. You know, or, or, or the cow, the black, you know, the exactly. Batman cow. Yeah, I, I can usually get away with that one. But when you start getting into anime characters and things like that, you're like, okay, I can't. I'm, yeah, I'm not even going to try. Yeah. So who are you? Yeah, who's your character? And then you know, what's nice though is people aren't offended by that. If yeah, so yeah, tell me who you tell me about your character, your your cosplay, yeah. and they. They're happy to tell you. And that's one thing that's interesting about the cosplayers is people would ask me all the time, uh, hey, I'd like to go to your event. Do I have to dress up? Like, no, you don't have to dress up. You know, if you want to, if you want to, you can even just wear a fan T-shirt if you want or not at all. You don't need to worry about it. But if you dress up, be careful not to be too good because you're not going to be able to walk the convention floor. You're going to be yeah. stopped every minute for a photo and you won't be able to get through it. So some, there's a lot of cosplayers that will go cosplay part of the convention and then go change into their street clothes so they can actually see the convention. Yeah. Because when you're dressed up cosplayer, um, you're not going to get through the convention very far without uh, being stopped for photos. And you enjoy that. That's kind of your payday. Yeah. Right. So that recognition stuff. Yeah. Totally good. On, so the evolution. So how long has FanX been in existence? We're we're coming up on our tenth year. So yes. Okay, good. Yeah. So ten years. What are some of like the highlights of your first ten years? Wow. Well, you know, the number one highlight was the first year and seeing how it grew um, on us. You know, I, I think I mentioned earlier anticipating 10 to 15,000 people. And you know, I was talking to one of the talent bookers that books some of the big talent. Um, and he, you know, when we were kind of thinking, I told him, I said, I think we'll have around 10,000 people, maybe 15 or whatever. And he's like, yeah, just, you know, just 
be careful. You know, he's kind of managing my expectations. And then we started selling tickets. And next thing you know, he says, well, maybe, you know, because we were talking about William Shatner having him at the show. And uh, when we sold enough initial tickets, and this was five months before the show, six months, he goes, yeah, maybe we should talk about getting Bill out there. And so we, we booked Shatner. And then all of a sudden tickets went from, I think we had around 3,000 tickets sold. Within a couple of weeks, we were up to eight to 10,000 tickets just after announcing Shatner. Because I think there was that tipping point where people said, wow, this thing really is coming together. Yeah. And so going from, you know, we're still, let's see, two or three months out from the convention, we have 10,000 tickets sold. And knowing just what happens in most cities is they see at least half of their ticket sales at the event. Sometimes even, you know, two thirds to three quarters of their ticket sales will happen you know, during the week of the show. So you kind of predict. And so here we are rolling into 10,000 tickets. We're like, wait a second, this is, this is going really, <laughs> really pretty heavy here. And so we continue to work on people. We added some more celebrities. We um, had been working for several months to try to get Stanley there. And most of the bigger celebrities won't go to a convention on their first year just because they, they don't know what to expect. Um, but we were getting enough momentum. I was continuing to work with uh, the manager. He had already booked himself somewhere out on the East Coast for that weekend. And on his own, he had canceled that because I think he was just worried about traveling that far at that time. And so it caused me to follow up with the manager again and say, hey, well, now that he's not doing the East Coast, do you want to uh, come do our show? Oh, maybe. We'll see. So we're getting up, leading up. We had already... Um, we had planned our convention center at the Southtown Center, which is kind of more of the community convention center. Yeah. And we had come to the point where we had to move it downtown, and which was better for us because we had the hotels. We had everything we needed downtown. Uh, it was just had a larger capacity for what we're for the number of tickets we were already selling to. So we had come to the week of the convention, and I think we had – so this was Monday. The show was starting on Thursday. Right. On Monday, we had – 20-ish thousand tickets sold. And so I go back to the manager again, and I say, listen, we'd like to get Stan there. At the same time, Lou Frigno was just finishing up Dragon Con, and he was going to come out and do some press there. But he said, I have to go Monday. I have to go. I'm getting this Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, Stan Lee's going to give it to me. I said, Lou, you got to get Stan to come out with you to the show. Tell him to come. And so Lou hit him that from that direction on the Monday. I came in through the manager again. Tuesday morning, I get a call. Hey, hey, Dan, uh, I think we're going to do your show. Uh, we'll bring him out on Saturday. Like, wow. And so we announce it as soon as we can. The word goes out. This thing blows up even further. And we ended up, um, you know, that weekend. So he came in on Saturday. and Which is your final day. Final day. And it actually, I mean, it, it, so the ticket sales blew up. We, we ended up selling around 50,000 tickets, which then when you look at the kids, are about 70,000 people is what we anticipate uh, having at the event. That just so far exceeded what we uh, you know, anticipated, but it just was that perfect storm, the way everything came together. And even the fact that, you know, had we been able to announce Stanley three months before, I don't think we would have that same impact of like, okay, this, 
you know, this crescendo, you know, this amazing yeah. thing happened. We got to announce him the Tuesday before he was there again on Saturday, or maybe Wednesday by the time we got to announce. I can't remember if we did it Tuesday or Wednesday, but we announced him on, uh, to get him there on Saturday. And he came out busy as can be. Um, in fact, we had a schedule plan for him probably around five or six that evening. evening. And his manager's like, he can't leave. He goes, look at this line. We got too many people here. We got photo ops. You got this and that. We can't go. And I said, at that time, our our, our ballroom was only thirty five hundred people, and pe- and the staff was coming to me saying, Dan, you got to help us. You got to get him to get in there. And I, I said, listen, you've got a ballroom full of people. Can can we just get him to come in and say hi for a few minutes, and and you know maybe twenty twenty five minutes. Uh, yeah, okay, we'll do it. We got to go. Let's go do it now. So we take him in there. He goes in the ballroom. The manager leads the way. The manager walks in. His eyes just explode in his head. And he looks at me. He goes, Dan, can you believe this? Look at this place. It's crazy. You know, 3,500 people, you know, because I'd been to some conventions where they were in 500 seat ballrooms, you know, 1,000 seat ballrooms. That's what they were used to seeing. 3,500 people screaming nuts, just crazy. And he pulls his camera out. This is the manager. Just, he goes, Dan, I can't believe this. This is so crazy. And he's so excited. (laughs) Stan gets up. He's really energetic. The next time Stan came back to our show a year or two later, you know, he told people, he goes, goes, I want you guys to know. Well, okay, I'm going to back up one second. We also had, when Stan came in, he came in like around noon or one o'clock on Saturday. So he wasn't even there from the morning. Uh, the governor picked him up at the airport. So they, they, <laughs> the they governor put, of Utah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they pull up. I guess they stopped the plane on the tarmac. They let him off the plane on the tarmac before he even and he gets in the car. The governor picks him up that way. And so the next time he came back to the show, he tells the crowd, he says, "You know, you guys have the best comic. Can use a different con word, but uh, comic convention. It's the way I yeah. I, I need to yeah. say it. But I uh, have comic convention anywhere." And and I you know I I don't know if he said that to you know if he says that to all the girls but yeah. he did say it to to our group and that energy that I think that he that was exhibited through that group of fans I, I think it just stood out you know they wanted to keep coming back we had him booked another time and I think his health he wasn't able to come back but at that time he you know he says hey is my friend the governor going to pick me up again <laughs> we had him on TV we're interviewing him on TV and and he asked he goes yeah you you can have my friend the governor pick me up again <laughs> the airport but yeah when he came back again was that was it up to the 5000 yeah i th- i think i think we did have the 5000 when he came, came back, back the next time yes that's so awesome yeah so i'm just i'm just curious do you have a best story of you know, like they're the the manager, but where the actors themselves were shocked to see the reception that they had from the fans. Yes, um, boy, there's actually there's a lot of them. Well, several. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is so cool. This yeah. is, this is pop culture. This, this is, is this is fandom. I've never done this this type of an interview before, so this is totally great. So um, we've had yeah, we've had a lot of celebrities being really. Um, Surprised by their reception, like I, I mentioned with Stan Lee, obviously that reception was something much larger than he and his manager anticipated, and I'm sure they were just very glad that they had that moment. I also remember on the first show I was talking to Lou Ferrigno prior to the show, and I said, "Hey, we want to put you in a in a." Lou Ferrigno was the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk. Yes, yes. yeah. And, um, 
I said, you know, we want you to do a panel. And what what type, what size of room are you used to doing for a panel? And he says, you know, usually a 500 to, you know, 800 seat room would be, that'd be really good for me. Yeah. And he said, okay. Well, we ended up putting him in the 3,500 seats. He filled it. And so that was probably one of the larger panels that he had. Um, we had uh, uh, Timothy Omanson from Psych. And he went out to sign at his booth for the first time. And when he went out there, he saw that and he actually got, and I'm hearing the second hand, but actually got tears in his eyes seeing how many people were, he's like, they're here to see me, that many people. And he did, he just had such a great reception. Um, there was one couple or some, a team or something like that, that I heard, I think it was with Fan X, where they were, Behind stage, and then either they came to the panel or whatever it was, and it was they were just like totally like just just blown away, blown away. Yeah, well, it, it is a very large panel room. It's it's typically larger than clearly larger than what we were seeing when I was doing the conventions prior to our convention. You know, like I mentioned, a five hundred to a thousand seat main ballroom was kind of the the standard at that time, and so for us to go up to the thirty five hundred seats, and then you know, now to the 5,000 seats, you know, that's uh, that's definitely a big room. Even um, our panel moderator, he was doing a little movie in Utah at the same time, you know, he was like an extra or something. At the same time, it was a movie that Mark Hamill was in, but I had already been working for a couple of years to try to get Mark to come do a show with us. And he had a chance just to sit down and chat with Mark on set and he says, hey, yeah, you know, th this was only like a month or two before our convention. So we were still kind of working. There was a lot of back and forth going on between me and the agent. And I told Chris, I said, Chris, if you do get a chance to, Mark, to talk to Mark, tell him we're excited. We're also looking at renting the arena across the street from the convention center to do his panel. If he'll come out, we'll do his panel there. So we did his panel at the, you know, where the where Utah Jazz play. Yeah. And he had over 10,000 people at that panel and that was that was gigantic but when when uh, chris was talking to him prior he said yeah we you know we probably could get you know five thousand to you know eight thousand people in this you know in this panel for you because we, we had already i'd already kind of armed him with the idea of us doing it at the uh at the arena and uh mark was like no no you're not going to get that many people for you no you know i think we will people will be excited and so I, I think he was really impressed and when he did the panel and in case mark ever hears this or anybody associated with he did promise them he said i want to come back and do another one of these panels with you guys <laughs> okay good so, so it's been recorded now yeah, so yeah yeah he did tell him he said, two hey, many people yeah, listening to this yeah. or one of you is going to be someone who's going to take it back to mark yeah you, that we're still you, planning on when it. you toured the uh rise of future lounge last night you just mm -hmm. see mark hamill there oh at wow. one of the rise of future events oh that's fun yeah, yeah, he, he's a very nice person. Yeah. Great with the fans. You know, um, I had an experience with him where I, I got to ride, I went to the airport to pick him up. We had, you know, in order to get him to our show, and he had a convention he was doing after ours in uh, Toronto, we had to hire a private jet to make it work out. That's right. just, that's just, sure. Th that was, that was the final linchpin that we were saying, hey, well, if we get a private jet and we can get you here, the, uh, would you do it? And it's like, okay, yeah, because then it was just convenient for him. So that's that was how we we got him. So I went to pick him up, and 
I picked up he and his wife and his daughter, and and you know he was nice, and but but I could tell he wasn't going to engage me. I ended up talking to his wife a lot more, and she was, you know, a little more friendly. And I think maybe he was just kind of decompressing a little bit. So I was fine with that. I didn't I didn't expect to have this just gigantic conversation right. with Mark Hamill. I didn't I didn't need to because he he's there for the fans, not for me. Right. And so I had a. a Later on the day, he was back in a in a kind of a private green room, and I kind of walk in. I just say hi briefly, and he said hi back, and nice, you know, whatever. But he was doing his own thing. Then there was a couple of my, like my son and a, and a nephew, or like two or three boys that walked in the room. The son that I met last night. It was a different son. Yeah, yeah. They walked into the room. Also, Mark looks at them. He stands up. Hey guys, how are you? And he just engaged with them. He goes, hey, I've got these things. And he pulled out these little cards in his pocket, and he gave them to him. And it's just to see him turn it on for the people, you know, the fans, the people that really deserve it, which he was also doing in the lines with the people. You know, when he was meeting the fans, he turned it on. And to me, it was like, you know, he doesn't have to be my best friend right. as a promoter. You know, I, I, you know, this is just a job that we're doing together. And, and you know, it, sure, I'd love to be able to sit out and chat with Mark Hamill. That'd be fun. But you know what? It's not for me. It's for the right. fans. And when I saw him turn it on for the fans, it's like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. This is the way, this is this is the type of person you want to have in front of people. And, and it, you know, that always means a lot to me. When I see the celebrities that will do that, which the, the reality is most of the celebrities that are doing these conventions will turn it on for the fans. And they'll make sure that they try, you know, they, they kind of see every person they meet as they have a duty to do more than just sign an autograph and, you know, look them in the eye. You know, you know I mean, there's stories of people not even doing that. But right. um, but for the most part, the celebrities feel like that they want to give something back to their fans for putting them on the pedestal. That mm-hmm. they're at. You know, not to mention the fact that they're paying money that could be lunch money or whatever to buy an autograph or a photo op. They're, you know, these people are sacrificing real money to to have that moment with them. It's they these celebrities realize that this is, you know, this is them that you know the, the fans that have given them what they have. And when you see that reflected back at the conventions, it's really powerful. Um, you know, I, I I love seeing that. I kind I I live vicariously through the fans because yeah. I I I mentioned my wife was the fan girl. I was never really the fanboy. I mean, I, I thought it was neat to meet Lou Ferrigno when I met him and, you know, get to know him a little bit. I, I've worked with Dick Van Dyke in the past. I enjoy my interaction with him. But I was never that fan person like, oh, wow, I need to go meet this person or that person. So when I get to see the fans get to meet somebody that they really look up to, it is I, – I love that energy. I mean, I, I do you – know, I get a vicarious uh, kick from it because – especially when it's at a convention that I helped put together right. and basically broker this opportunity. And so I, I love that. I, I am a, I'm a fan of the fans. That, that, that's, what, that's where I, I get my uh, kick and my energy from. That's awesome. What you're going to be talking about, you know, it's like I think you're, you're going to be addressing a little bit the history of fandom, yes. of fan conventions, um, mm-hmm. popular culture, you know, at your, on your keynote. I mean, it all started back. Do you have anything about the history and the how well, it evolved? Yeah, like 1930s, there was the first conventions started. You know, really started out in groups of 
couple hundred people getting together in major cities, you know, New York, Philadelphia, putting these these shows on. And then I think what eventually became the Worldcon and then uh, several other conventions had sprung up. Uh, 1965, there was a New York uh, Comic-Con. Then San Diego started in 1970. Um, this fan energy... Uh, people coming together and celebrating really the comic books and the things like that. It, it's really come about and evolved and then took its upswing you know, from like the 80s, 90s and going into the early 2000s. That's where we started seeing, you know, 100,000 plus people showing up at these events yeah. and many of them you can cosplay or just people there um, for a very, you know, a multitude of reasons why, you know, you kind of put all that energy together in the right room and the magic happens. Absolutely. It's amazing how it's, it's magic. We've got this, I got it sent to me. This was several years ago, a photo of Elwin Hubbard at TorCon 2 Toronto, the World Science Fiction Convention in 1948, where he was uh -huh. one of the, the main guests there. And because uh, he would, not very many, but he attended multiple of these, of these conventions and our original coordinating judge, Algis Budras, used to share the story of how in a, in a convention in Chicago, when they're in the big hall, and then mm -hmm. there was, he said there was like a hush. It's like, what was happening? He said, it's L. Ron Hubbard. And it was like, because he was, he was yeah. one of the biggest names in, in cult fiction. Yeah. Um, and so he said it was just seemed as, for him, he said it was just like electrifying when he came up and he came on stage and was, and was talking to people. It is, it is in a, an ability for authors, actors, artists mm -hmm. to to meet the the fans that will appreciate them. And at you know, like at Fan X, you've got Artist Alley, you mm -hmm. know, where people like like the Rob Priors of the world, right? All these other um, we got several other past winners of Illustrated the Future. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a lot of the writers there, as well as the actors, the people that do the TV shows and whatnot. What I've really appreciated the last couple of years is we've had a, an expanded section of our booth where we're able to have a table set up for past winners of Rise of the Future because they're, they're starting their career. And so we give them, we are able to arrange for them to, to get into the thing. And then we set up a, a book signing at our booth for them to sell either Rise of the Future or if they've got something else that they've published, they can yeah. do that and we can promote it. They can't afford to buy a booth themselves and sometimes they can't afford to, to get in, but they really want to do their delight help launch yes. the careers, which is what Rise of the Future is all about. So that's one another reason why I so love the, you know, the Salt Lake City Fan X is it's an opportunity for these writers. And we have so we have more writer winners from Utah than any other state in the US. Yeah. So that's saying crazy. Water yeah, I, learned, I learned that from you. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them are BYU and and um UV Utah Valley University and University of Utah. But there are winners there, and we just almost every year we have one or two winners from Utah. It's just it's uncanny how that happens, hmm. but it's just they're so good. You know, several of them are, have been winners uh, coming from Brandon's class, but other people just entering. They've entered for 10, 15, 20 years, and eventually they just make the cut and they and they make it and arrive. So it's just another thing I really like about it because they find about the contest. We're able to disseminate the contest. We have not five thousand, but we'll have you know. 500 or so people at our panels now, the, uh -huh. the writer panel, which is, I think it's great. Pretty, pretty no, healthy. No, no, that's actually a, a really successful panel. I mean, yeah, that that's something that uh, if we look at 
like I said, before we were doing our convention at 500, you know, that would be, I, you know, I went to a convention, Wizard World show that had Chris Hemsworth there. And we went yeah. to his panel of 500 people in that room. So, I mean, you know, you're talking Avenger level, the 500 yeah. people at that time. So Yeah. So it was, you know, it's, it's been really good on that and how that, how that's worked. So I'm always telling people and trying to get judges to come in there because it's a great place for them also because they've got their, their own fan base. Mm-hmm. You met last night, um, Joe Montaldo, he's got the United yeah. Public Radio Network and he went there and he was just coming as a, as a guest of me and uh, he's walking around. All of a sudden people, Joe, people recognize him because he's really, really po- I mean, he's very, very popular. Yeah. He's been doing his show for 25 years. He's got the Centralist, which is politics. UFO Paranormal, which is um, that, and then Science and Beyond, okay. which is that, because he's, he's also an engineer. So all three of them are award-winning, so he's had it on his Science and Beyond. He's had the um, Mike deGrasse Tyson and those types of, of guests, and then as Centralist, he's had like the mayor of New York and a lot of top-level CNN and you know people, because he's Centralist, so he yeah. doesn't go right or left. He just right. challenges everybody. Yeah. And then UFO Paranormal. Hmm. When he went there, he he went and checked out the lightsabers, and one of the vendors there, he talked to him, and, and so he gave, I don't know, 30 lightsabers to him to give away on his show, and he said it was just the best thing for him, because for everyone that Joe gave away, he'd sell like 30 lightsabers uh, from the radio show. That's and he, great. He said it was awesome. So he wants to, obviously wants to come back again, just because he really enjoyed the fan experience. Uh, but it's just cool. amazing what, you know, what happens, the synergy and how mm-hmm. things, this connects to this, connects to this, connects to that. And it, ju- it grows because it's not divisive. It's just about sharing, you know, common pleasures. Well, so here's one thing that's interesting that, that uh, really is kind of at the heart of the keynote. This energy, everything that is what these events are, starts in somebody's head. You think about that creative energy, those stories that are being told, the art that's drawn, whatever it may be, are the impetus, they're the power behind this fandom. And so really, as the writers who are listening to this, to realize that you guys hold the key of this glue, this future glue that's going to be created. You know, it's been created by people like you in the past. It will be created by you in the future. You know, you are the writers of the future, writers and illustrators of the future. You guys are creating that glue that people get excited about, that the fandom is built up on. You know, it's not the magic way that we run our events or the may, you know, we have a great facility in Salt Lake. The Salt Palace is a great facility. You know, it's not that building that brings people in. It's mm-hmm. the stories, it's the creativity, it's the you know, waking up in the middle of the night that you guys experience where you all of a sudden you have that idea that you've been wanting to grab a hold of for months and finally it's there and you're like, why do you have to come to me at the middle of the night? Why I want to sleep. These ideas are there. It's your ideas that are going to impact this in the future. So that's where this power, this energy is coming from. It's coming from you. I mean, that's a very good point and that brings us right back then to the writers and illustrators of the future. Craig Elliott, one of our illustrator judges, he runs the art sets, the art design for Disney. So a lot of what you see now in all these uh, animated movies, those are his creations, his his mock-ups 
that then get put together by all the different people that run under him. He went from Netflix being the, the creative director then over yeah. to, to Disney. So that's one of our judges. We've got so many winners that now work for Netflix or Disney doing their creation. You know, So they're putting together those the Little Mermaids or the um, whatever characters that we'll be seeing, you know, cosplayed, you know, yeah. in half a dozen years or maybe just a couple of years. Yeah, just what's come from their mind, right, and to their hand or to their, however they express that, that creativity all of a sudden becomes this magic. Yeah, and it's... Um, it's interesting on that because it comes back also to the, to the original launch of Writers of the Future when on the essay that Aaron Hubbard wrote at the beginning, in his first essay in uh, Writers of the Future Volume 1, he says, a culture is as rich and as capable of surviving as it has imaginative artists. The artist is looked upon to start things. The artist injects the spirit of life into a culture. Hmm. And that's totally, you know, because he's talking about artists and authors there yes and so that's t exactly what we're talking about there is these artists you know whether they be you know on canvas or on paper for the uh stories mm -hmm. they are injecting that spirit of life into a culture and that's totally w why he's created this contest and continues to endow it now 40 years later it's amazing you know so we've got winners this year from nine countries hmm. you know so we have an illustrators uh from china from Vietnam, from Korea, from and, and writers, and from UK, and from Romania, and from Costa Rica, Canada, and the US. Wow. But anyway, so it's, um, we just have, it's open to anybody because it's free to enter the contest. And the only requirement is that you can't have been previously professionally published. So there's all the judges ever see is the art and a number, you know? So they have no idea of, of nationality, of ethnic, of sex, of age. It's just, can you write a good story? Uh -huh. Can you do good art that brings the winners together? Yeah. And it's, so it totally is a meritocracy that based on your quality of what you do, not because of who you are, that you win the contest and have that opportunity to, to be here and be part of it. Well, one thing that I learned about last night, I, I didn't understand because we were talking about it. My wife and I were talking on the plane on the way here, we're wondering, well, do people have to pay money to enter the contest and realize that this is funded completely through and of itself, through through what L. Ron Hubbard had started yeah. and the endowment he put into it, but then also the publishing and things you guys do subsequently. The royalties continues to pay for it. And he remains one of the best-selling authors. Even He passed away in 1986. Even this many years later, he's still one of the best-paid authors wow. on the planet. He's just, you know... Well, thank you. Yeah, for that. That's amazing. It's amazing what you guys are doing to keep that going. Yeah, it's just, and we very much enjoy it. And the judges all participate in it. And your reaction is not uncommon to when the, you know, when I've browbeaten the, the person, and I, okay, I'll do it. Then they come in and they get the tour and then they cease and they get more real. They see a few different panels and go like, I had no idea. No. Because it's one of those things like, again, you've, you've um, met Joe. Montaldo, and he spent the first year grilling me on the content. He said, nothing could be like this. It's not possible. It doesn't mm. exist. So he's always, he's asking his friends, he's doing research to find out, okay, so where's my Achilles heel? Yeah. And I said, okay, come on out. So I invited him a couple of years ago, I invited him out and said, 
full access, you know, because I, based on the fact that, you know, all the different judges that I have and just we cross all all lines of, of types of science fiction, types of fantasy. I mean, we probably represent every religion mm-hmm. and the judges, even though the contest has nothing to do with religion. Right. Um, but I said, check it out. I'm, I try to be as transparent as possible. And this podcast helps it even more so to be transparent. So he came out, he had full access to all the winners, all the judges, all the different staff. And he was just like amazed because I said, no, ask whoever. I'm not going to be there. Just yeah. go for it. And uh, he just couldn't believe it, you know. Hmm. So he's now totally on board, the, you know, having experienced that. So he loves coming out every year. It's one of his favorite uh, events that he does. And he he's invited, flown all over the world to, as a speaker. Uh-huh. So this is the time he gets, gets to be now. Just enjoy it. Yeah, enjoy it. And yeah. he does probably 50 different interviews. And he's given us our own sub, sub channel on his network just to air all the stuff that, that we get. But it's... um. Something that was created by Owen Hubbard, and it's, it's absolutely a noble purpose. But just that whole thing is, it's the artist is one that it creates and starts things. And, yes. And what you've got, what you've got there with with Fanex is totally exemplifies that. that that's what we're experiencing there. Well, it, it took on an energy of its own. You yeah. Know, like, like I said, I didn't realize what what it would turn into, and uh, um, re- realizing how many great people would be attracted to come in and pitch in and help and really make it what it is. Yeah, So, which is great. So anyway, so we've gone through our hour, which I knew would go really fast. Yes, so, very fast. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network where you can find these podcasts as well. Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the UK, Australia, and South Africa, and when the Salt Lake City Fanex is happening all throughout that convention center. Otherwise, it's available everywhere else via Amazon.com. We're especially appreciative of our sponsor, Carnation, for supporting this podcast. Carnation has been making delicious milk products for over a century and is still going strong. Writers and illustrators of the future are contests created by Elwin Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Dan. Well, thank you so much for having me here.